You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, thank you for this uh, beautiful day, and uh, pray that as we look at your word that you would bless us, and uh, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit um, as we think about your great salvation for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, one of the central questions of the book of Acts is uh, salvation. Uh, and uh, the title of the lecture might, might uh, confuse you a little bit. What is salvation in the Acts of the Apostles? You might say, well, it's the same as it is in the Gospel of John, or it's the same as it is in the book of Romans. Doesn't the New Testament teach one way of salvation? Well, yes, of course. Uh, faith in Jesus <laughs> is the teaching of the New Testament, but, but each New Testament book has a particular nuance. It's like taking a, a crystal of many, uh, of many colors, and it's the same crystal, and you can turn it around and see facets uh, that another part of the diamond, another part of the rock doesn't have. And so, uh, Paul emphasizes a lot being justified before God, right? Uh, John talks a lot about being born again. Uh, and each author, guided by the Holy Spirit, I think, uh, speaks about different aspects of salvation. And so, what I want to do in this, in this uh, class is to look at what is Luke's emphasis? Uh, what does he highlight when he speaks about salvation? Okay, so that's the idea. Uh, the, the subject of salvation is very important in the book of Acts. Right in the middle of the book, in chapter uh, 16, verse 30, we have uh, one person asking, What must I do to be saved? That's right up there in your, in your handout. You recall that story when Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the, in uh, in Philippi uh, around midnight they start singing and praying to God and then an earthquake takes place and uh, uh, all the doors of the prisons are opened and uh, the person in charge the Philippian jailer uh, thinking that all the prisoners have fled is about to kill himself. Uh, but Paul comes to him and says, don't, don't do that, they're all here. Uh, and because the jailer had connected the singing of Paul with the earthquake, he figured that God was answering the prayer of Paul. So he comes to Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And I think in that, in those words of the uh, Philippian jailer, we find a question that everyone is asking in the book of Acts and in contemporary culture. What must I do to be saved? Um, now, what they mean by saved in contemporary culture may be different from, and, and probably is different from what uh, the biblical account here. So what I want to do is uh, 
is to talk about how Acts conceive, conceives of salvation. Okay, so if you look at Roman numeral one in your handout, uh, the way that I want to put it, if I were to put it in one sort of thesis uh, main sentence, would be the following. The language of salvation in Acts is about many concepts. This many, many concepts are necessary to describe the, this wonderful work of God. So when, when Acts talks about salvation, it gives you many ideas, many concepts. A thick, full understanding of salvation, because this work is so wonderful that not one image, not one concept is sufficient to explain it. And so, uh, there are four, uh, four statements uh, or four uses of language of salvation. A, uh, the forgiveness of sins. That is a significant uh, concept about what salvation is in Acts. Another one, B, is the gift of the Spirit. At the bottom, C, to be saved. And then if you go to the next page at the top, to be justified. Now, I think there are a few more, but those are the, the main rubrics that uh, you find in the book of Acts to speak of salvation. Uh, before I get into each one of these, uh, are there any questions on, on what it is that we're trying to do, what the concept is? Um, yeah. Throughout this last two weeks, I've spoken a lot and haven't taken enough questions, so this might be a good one to to take questions. Can you see where we're heading? Is there uh, would something help you uh, for clarification? Okay, let's talk about then um, the first language of salvation in Acts is the language or the concept of forgiveness of sins. So if we ask the question, what must I do to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Uh, one of the main answers is your sins to be forgiven, forgiveness of sins. There are a number of texts there that I've included for you, and I want us to look at a couple of them. Um, the first is uh, 238, the second is 319, and the last one is 2216. So 238, 319, and 2216. Come on in. Welcome. So the first one then is uh, chapter 2, um, and you'll see there that... Uh, Peter is preaching to a whole group of people who have gathered in Jerusalem for a festival, for the Feast of Pentecost. Um, and after he preaches his sermon, uh, the folks come to him in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Very interesting phrase. They heard the the mess, the sermon, and their hearts were cut. They, I guess, they f they felt guilty. 
And uh, they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now look at Peter's answer in verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. And then he says, Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and here comes the phrase for us, For the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. Notice the, con the connection between baptism, one, in the name of Jesus, two, for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to come back to that. That's, that's the first text. The next one is the following chapter, chapter 3, verse 19. It's again Peter and John uh, preaching. And in verse 19, he tells them how to be saved, what is salvation. He says to them, repent then and turn to God. Here it is, so that your sins may be wiped out. So that your sins may be wiped out. So similar to, the language in Greek is very similar. The idea of your sins being uh, forgiven, wiped out. And then one last text that I want us to look is towards the end there in your, in your handout. Chapter 22, verse 16. And this is 22, verse 16. And this is a, a retelling on the part of Paul of his own salvation when he met Jesus. 22:16. And uh, remember that uh, the Lord sent Ananias to speak to Paul. Paul was blind, blinded by the experience and weak and praying. And so Ananias comes to him in verse 16 and says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And the name is the name of Jesus. So, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Again, you notice the connection between the forgiveness of sins and baptism. Uh, so, let me make a couple of comments on this. Uh, Baptism, uh, so if you actually, I've written some comments <laughs> on their forgiveness of sins. If you look at uh, 1A1 there in your handout, uh, I, I make the following suggest suggestion. These verses are linked with baptism. Baptism in the New Testament is a ritual of initiation into the kingdom of God. The reason water is employed is as a metaphor for cleansing and wiping away. So, the idea is not that baptism uh, is a magical ritual, a magical act by which uh, getting some water on our head or however, or you know getting dunked in the water, however we practice baptism, uh, it's not some magical thing where what happens externally does a magical thing internally. The Bible, that would be magic and the Bible is not about magic. <laughs> it's about the living God acting. But what happened was that uh, in the early church, when people converted, uh, they, they um, gave testimony to their conversion by immediately being baptized. It was just normal at, at that time, and in the Judaism before then, to, to have a ritual wash when, you are asked, when you've asked God to forgive you. 
It'd be similar, uh, those of you who have seen like uh, Billy Graham Crusades in the past, how he tells people like, come forward and show and show that, that you are giving your life to Christ. Well, that, that walking forward is, is not going to save anyone, right? Uh, and so it's the same way in the early church. Be baptized. Give, uh, show, give testimony that you are being washed by God. The baptism doesn't save you, but it is a, a showing of something that God is doing in you. And what He's doing in, in us when we are saved is this concept of forgiveness, cleansing, wiping away our sins. Now, we've, uh, if we go back to the little paragraph there, we find in the Old Testament the use of ritual washings to purify the people from their sins. So remember, the New Testament uh, is based on the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, this concept of water and washing to signify the wiping, wiping away of our sins, it's already present in the Old Testament. And one text that many of us, many of us know very well is in the Psalms. So in Psalm 51, verse 3 through 4, David, after uh, committing adultery and homicide, uh, petition, petitions God. Remember, there, were, there was no law, there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament that, would, that could wipe away murder or adultery. There were, you, would, you were supposed to be executed and stoned. And so David knows there is nothing that I can appeal to in the sacrifices of the Old Testament, so I'm just going to ask God to have mercy on me. So he says in 51 verse three, uh, verses 3 and 4, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So there we see, and uh, there's also a beautiful text in Isaiah 43, 25, where the Lord says, I am the Lord, and I am the only one who can wipe away, blot away your transgressions. So the, um, the implication is that we sin, and sin is a breaking of God's commands. That's an easy definition of what it means to sin. We break God's command. And the scriptures then uses a metaphor of being stained, uh, dirt accumulating because of the breaking of His commands. And then salvation is then in Jesus having our sins washed away, wiped away. Number two then in your uh, handout there, second paragraph, <clears throat> a significant aspect of salvation in Acts then is God wiping away, doing away with our sins in the name of Jesus. And the Bible calls this good news, uh, the gospel. This is the gospel that uh, whatever we have done, uh, how, however many times we have done it, however deep and terrible is, it, is the thing that we have done, if we come to Him in repentance, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, and faith, uh, He takes our sins and He wipes them away. Uh, and another passage that is similar to this is in the book of Micah, 
where he talks about taking our sins and throwing them to the bottom of the sea. Um, you can appreciate that all this language is metaphorical. Okay, uh, It doesn't mean that if, obviously, that if an x-ray were, were taken of us, a bunch of stains could be seen inside. <laughs> that would be a crass literalism. It's, so we're talking about metaphor, but just because it's metaphorical, it doesn't mean it's not true. Metaphor and truthfulness are not contradictory. Uh, <clears throat> a metaphor or an analogy is a way of explaining something that is very difficult for human beings to understand. And so God kind of stoops down to our level to help us understand our situation. And he talks about our sins being washed away, being wiped, being wiped away, being uh, destroyed. Uh, I was reading a, a commentary in French last night, and I like the word. The word in French is effacer. Effacer, just to erase. It's beautiful. Um, and so that, that's the first uh, idea of salvation in, in the book of Acts. Our sins are wiped away, and it happens in the name of Jesus, often in the context of baptism. Okay, any questions or thoughts about this first conceptuality, if you will, of salvation in Acts? It's a big deal, <laughs> uh, because uh, those sins that we commit will, will be judged, uh, and they weigh us down, uh, and uh, God made us in such a way that, that to be living in the power of sin, it's a, it's a miserable life, a life full of shame, uh, and so on, but then when uh, when we come to the Lord, then He says, all your sins are wiped away uh, forever. And so if we continue to be ashamed of our sins, it's not because God is telling us to be ashamed. It may be because we are struggling accepting the goodness of God and just effacing, erasing all those sins. So that's good. That's good news. There may be things that we've that nobody knows that we've done, but God knows, and in Christ, He washes them all away, even the worst of them. The second, uh, let's see how we're doing with time. The second uh, language of salvation in uh, Acts is the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, and I struggle with this one. Because uh, there is debate uh, with, in the scholarly community of just what this means in res with respect to salvation. When, it says, when I say the gift of the Holy Spirit, does that mean that the Holy Spirit coming to us is a result of being forgiven? A result of being saved? Or is the reception of the Holy Spirit itself an act of God's salvation? I tend to go for the second. I think that in the book of Acts, the gift of the Holy Spirit, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive, that's something else, but <clears throat> the giving of the Holy Spirit is constitutes, is an act of salvation on our behalf on the part of God. And we see some texts here in Acts that, that show that. Uh, I want us to look at one in particular, uh, chapter 10, Verses 44 to 45. Um, this is the uh, uh, 
the story of Cornelius, um, a man who was not a Jew, uh, and yet uh, is going to be saved. Now, it's really, really important to say this. Uh, I'll, I'll try to say it quick because I don't want to run out of time. But uh, when the early church, when Jesus told the early church, uh, go to all the nations, uh, preaching forgiveness of sins, I would imagine that those disciples thought, great, we are going to go to the world and we're going to tell them that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God, and that He has sent His Messiah, Jesus, who has been crucified but raised on the third day, and now you can be part of the people of God. And yet, in the Old Testament, what if you were a man, what did you have to do to become part of the people of God? You had to be circumcised. And so, uh, I think the early Christians were shocked when some men, who had no connection to the synagogue and therefore were not circumcised, when they were saved without circumcision. And this is what happens with Cornelius. Uh, when Peter goes and he speaks to them, uh, we, this is what happens. Verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So you see, they were shocked. They were saying, wait a minute. They haven't been circumcised? In the case of women, by the way, uh, I always... Yeah, I find it interesting that, that it talks about uh, what the men had to do, but not the women. But in the case of women, usually there was a ritual bath that was involved it's a, if a woman was not Jewish and she wanted to belong to the Jewish faith. The man would be circumcised, uh, a, a bit of a heavier price to pay. That's it. But the woman would receive a washing, a ritual washing. Uh, but here you see that the, that the ones who are circumcised are saying, Wait a minute, the Holy Spirit came upon this person, but they're not yet circumcised? Yes, because it's, it's by the grace of God. But notice that they are linking reception of the Holy Spirit with salvation. The language, if you go, if you go to the handout under B1, the language is again analogical. The Holy Spirit cannot be discovered in a believer through x-rays. So when he says that we receive the Holy Spirit, it's not something that is literal. It's something that is true. But again, I remind you that not all truth has to be condensed to literalism. Okay? So what does it mean? This is the big question. When, uh, number two, the language of receiving the Holy Spirit highlights at least two things. What, just what does it mean that we receive the Holy Spirit and are saved? I think a couple of things. First, that God is the giver of salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit. He is the giver. We can only receive the Holy Spirit. Second, uh, by using this language of reception of the Spirit, I think that the idea is that we become united to God because He now dwells in us. How is that? What does it mean that He dwells in us? We talked about this last week. Is He in somewhere, somewhere in our brain? In our, no, we don't know. It's a mystery. Okay? It's a mystery. It's like Jesus told Nicodemus uh, when Jesus said, You must be born again. 
And Nicodemus said, wait a minute, I have to go back into my mother's room and then? No, no, no. You, said, you, don't, you don't understand it. It's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, but, but you can see the result. In the same way, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit is a mystery. We don't, we don't know what happens at the physical or material level, but it's true. Something happens and you can see the change. So, to go down to number three, to speak of receiving the Spirit as salvation also includes, in Acts, the uniting of all believers. So, one of the reasons why we're given the Spirit is that we are told that in the Holy Spirit, all believers are made one. And so, Paul talks in Galatians, and he says that, Now, through the Holy Spirit, there is neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, Slave or free. We are all one in Christ. The Holy Spirit not only unites us vertically to God, but also unites us horizontally to one another. And so salvation also includes becoming part of the one people of God. This is, this is countercultural because we tend to think of salvation as a very individual thing. It's something I do secretly and I'm safe. But the book of Acts talks about salvation as something that is also being united to the rest of the Christians. It reminded me of the phrase of uh, one church uh, uh, father from the 3rd century, St. Cyprian, who said, there is no salvation outside the church. There is no salvation outside the church. I don't think he's saying that going to church will save you. That would be silly. I think he's saying that those who truly are saved belong to the church. To which church? To the invisible church. All those who are connected to God and to one another by the Holy Spirit. So salvation is both vertical and horizontal. Okay. Any questions or thoughts about that? Yeah, we got just a couple, couple of minutes. But I hear people sometimes ask, you know, do I need to go to church to be a Christian? Because I like Jesus, but you know... <laughs> The, the, the religious stuff, I don't dig that. Uh, well, I don't know the answer to that. I tend to, I tend to think that, yes, you, you need to come to church. It's good. Uh, but, but especially if you look at it from the perspective of the book of Acts, here is where Christians tend to be, <laughs> uh, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I experience God many times through the kind deeds of love of my sisters and brothers. God works through them. And I experience God in that way. And so we're missing out a lot uh, by, not, by not being part of a church or a small group or whatever. There is no salvation outside the church. I'll move on to number three. Uh, another language that is used uh, for salvation in Acts is simply to be saved. Letter C on uh, at the bottom of your handout. Uh, to be saved. Uh, well, that word to save can mean so many things in English. Uh, to save money, uh, to save from death, to, to save. What? So we need context. We need the context to see what it means. And I would suggest the following, that the language in Acts of to be saved is the language of rescue and deliverance. And that most of the time when the verb to save or the noun savior is used, uh, the main background is God's salvation, uh, God's deliverance, excuse me, of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, 
God's deliverance of Egypt becomes a paradigmatic event uh, that the church looks back to to understand the concept of salvation. Being delivered, being brought out of Egypt. And that raises the question, what then is included in this salvation? Well, think about the think about Exodus. God tells Moses at the very beginning, Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, so that they would serve me. So the idea is that Israel... It's, it's, it's a bit difficult to process this language, uh, especially in the south of the United States. But the, the, uh, the concept is that Israel is a slave. And they are a slave of God. God is their master. And Pharaoh has stolen this slave that belongs to God, to the, to the good master. The master that will really give them life. And so Moses is to tell Pharaoh, Hey, God has said, these are my people. Let them go so that they would come and serve me. So, salvation is deliverance from the New Testament, spiritualizes this in the sense that we are delivered from the power of Satan. Satan can tempt us and mess with us, but doesn't have control of us any, any longer. Paul talks about being transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So, salvation then, when the going back to the beginning, when the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Uh, Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, and your household. You, you will be delivered from your sins, from the power of sins, and from the power of darkness. And then, lastly, and, and really I have to... Um, yeah, it's 11 o'clock. So, anyone heading to the service at 11 o'clock here? Okay, I am. So, so, so yeah. So, so let me go ahead and, and, and wrap it up here. I don't mind being a little late. I'm Hispanic. So, <laughs> uh, the the last language that I find in Acts for salvation is to be justified, and we are very uh, familiar with this language because Paul uses this language a lot, right? Especially in Romans and Galatians. The language of justification is judicial language. Is the language of the court. To be justified means that on the basis of the work of Jesus, those who believe are counted as not guilty before God's judgment seat. Good news again, that when we face God in final judgment, uh, God will say the words, not guilty. Not because I have done some things that have balanced the bad, but the, the scripture is clear that Jesus has washed away, has wiped away our sins. And so when God looks at us in final judgment, He will say, not guilty. Beautiful, beautiful words. Let me wrap it up here by two summary statements at the bottom. Number one, the language of salvation in the Acts of the Apostles, as well as the rest of the New Testament, is attempting to explain a spiritual reality. Therefore, the language will often be analogical or metaphorical, but this does not make it less real. Second major point I want to make is, salvation in Acts is something God alone does. Salvation is not a metaphor used to explain a human existential reality where the God who saves is just really a way of speaking of the good effect that family, friends, or the church and culture may have on us. According to liberal Christianity, uh, the, the word God 
really just means all that is good in the world. And that when God saves you, it just means that I've connected to, to something good. And that good is changing me. No, that's not, that's not what Acts is saying. Salvation cannot be translated into self-realization. You may realize some things about yourself, we do when we are saved, but it's not about self-realization. It is not a human act addressed in mythical language. It is not an, ex an external projection of something I do to myself. That way lies hopelessness. If you try to save yourself, you will end up in hopelessness and depressed. <clears throat> Salvation in the Bible is a true miracle. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the real God who comes from outside ourselves and gives Himself to us. He who alone is life. And we receive Him by pure faith. So salvation is not something that is individual in the sense that it's a realization uh, that, I, that, I, that I come to and then I change. No, it's, it's really a party. It's really... God, who is outside ourselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, coming to us and giving Himself to us and doing all those beautiful things like forgiving, justifying, uh, cleansing the Holy Spirit, and saving us. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.